Revelation chapter 21. And today we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that has encouraged Christians throughout church history. In fact, I was surprised to discover how many times this passage of Scripture was held on to dearly by Christians who were going through very difficult, trying times. So if you made your way there to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, let's take a look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. John writing when he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The title of my message this morning is, All Things Made New. Have you ever personally heard or used the expression, wow, this is a taste of heaven on earth? Maybe you just returned from a vacation to a place that you always hoped that you would be able to visit in your lifetime. Maybe you were there standing on the beach and saw the sunrise and said, oh, this is just a a taste of heaven on earth. And if you're in Florida, then you can go to the other coast and see the sunset and say, wow, again, a taste of heaven on earth. Or maybe you went someplace other than the Golden Corral and had a great, great meal. (laughs) Oh, this is just a taste of heaven on earth. It's a a sentiment that we use quite often to describe a very unique and pleasant and wonderful moment in our lives. But John tells us that that's exactly what's going to happen in the future. God is going to bring heaven to earth. Randy Alcorn, who wrote his famous book entitled Heaven, said this. He says, we won't go to heaven and leave earth behind. Rather, we'll bring heaven and earth together into the same dimension with no wall of separation. No armed angels to guard heaven's perfection from sinful mankind. I like what another said, that what God is about to do, and that, and that uh, encouraged Christians throughout the church history, was it wasn't going to be a simple sequel to what He is doing now. It is going to be a complete remake like we've never seen before. Now the concept of heaven can be quite confusing for people. There's actually very little of it written about in in the Bible. So to help us this morning, I thought I would solicit the opinion of theological experts to help you understand what heaven 
is like. Take a listen. Heaven looks like a beautiful place. Rainbow colored with glitter. The colors you've never seen before. Purple and pink and red and white. Pinky purple. Maybe I'm thinking that heaven might look like a cloud. Clouds. Golden is yellow clouds. It doesn't, it doesn't have glass. <laughs> because it's going to make the McDonald's. <laughs> That's funny. It's a house where you die in a big giant house. Yeah, he's gonna make a big room for you and me. Bigger than like the whole world. And he's gonna make a giant school for you. Like, like the more people that move into heaven, the the bigger God makes it. And so the kids have more room to play. That's gonna be awesome. My grandma and grandpa will be in heaven. My dad, he's getting super old. I think my dad's gonna be the first one that's gonna die. <gasps> Mary, I think that's the only girl. I think I'm never gonna die. I think I'm just gonna be all by myself. These animals. I got to play with Jesus. Ooh, dogs. Woof, woof. Elephant. There's gonna be a baseball team in heaven. White Sox, I think, will be in heaven. We could let, like, the people who play the Cubs go to heaven. All Southsiders go to heaven. Jesus. And I was planning on giving him a high five or something. I- I'll miss when he does down low to slow parts, because he's fast. There's going to be, like, stuff in heaven. The stuff that's in the world. Even in Texas, even in California. I would have a zip line. Because then I can like get like a paper towel and then jump on it and then it would hold on and then I can like swing down it. I will wear sparkly stuff in heaven. A pretty dress. TVs! I think there's gonna be every food on earth in heaven. Bread and not cereal. Blood and juice and fruit, like watermelon, maybe some strawberries, french fries. There's not McDonald's in heaven. We won't even think about getting hungry. You don't have to go to grocery store at all. Just heaven, heaven at all. They'll never get cold or sick or hungry or anything. We'll just be happy. I'm not going to fall down in heaven. I only got it, Allie. I walked all over my foot. It'll be okay. In heaven! And I really miss God. That's the last thing I can tell you about heaven.
Well, I certainly believe that they gave us more insight than we could ever possibly imagine to get. You know, one of my favorite things I ever did was teach a Sunday school class. And I remember years ago reading a story of a Sunday school teacher who was working with four and five-year-olds. And you know, if you've worked with four and five-year-olds, you just don't know what they're going to say at any given time. Well, it was an Easter Sunday morning and the teacher asked the children, "Uh, do you know what this day means? And this one very enthusiastic little four-year-old girl raises her hand and just jumps out of her seat. And the teacher says, wow, you must really know what this is all about. And she says, yes, it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came out of the tomb on the third day. And she said, oh, that is fantastic. And then the little girl went on to say, yes, but if he sees his shadow, he goes in for seven more weeks. You just don't know what they are going to say at any given time. It was John's desire, and undoubtedly God, who gave him this vision of this new heaven and new earth. And notice with me in verse 5 that he makes it abundantly clear that this new heaven and new earth will encase all things that he has made brand new. As he wrote, he said, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Notice with me, he didn't say some things. He didn't say a few things. God is going to make everything brand new. And to help us understand that word new, let us understand that it doesn't mean new in sequence, meaning it isn't uh, something brand new, but it's something fresh, of a new nature, of a new character, something that we've never experienced before here on this earth as individuals that have been affected by the events of the garden at the very beginning. For the word in Greek that is used for the word new means to be better. It means to be uh, fresh. It means to be something that is completely of new character for you and I to enjoy. But let us look for a moment also and see that he says, I am making all things new in this verse. In the Greek, there are things that are called tenses. And it gives us the understanding of the action of, of the action being taken place, meaning more specifically, when it is taking place. And when John wrote this, around 94 AD, there isolated on an island called Patmos, he was able to write these words because this newness was already starting. And it was starting in the life of each and every believer in Jesus Christ. Making, meaning he started the process already. And all of this began and all of this was possible because on the third day he rose again and thank goodness he didn't see his shadow and go back in for seven weeks. Let us understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest event that provides hope for you and I in the darkest times of our life. And John wanted every Christian to know what was coming next. 
As we've often said at this church, for we as believers, this is the worst it's ever going to get here on this earth. It's only going to get better. But for those who don't know the Lord, unfortunately, this will be the best it'll ever be. It's only going to go downhill from here. I think that it is interesting that if we back up one verse, we discover that John describes this place not by what is there, but by what is not there. He gives us a series of no mores. Look with me in Revelation 21.4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. One of my favorite pastors, Chuck Swindoll, wrote this in his commentary on the book of Revelation. He says, there are ten things that are missing from the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no more sea because chaos and calamity will be eradicated. That's what sea meant in that culture. The most fearful thing for an individual to do is to consider traveling on the sea at that time. So understanding that background helps us to understand these words. There will be no more tears now that we have the eternal perspective. There will be no more death because mortality will be swallowed up by life. There will be no mourning because sorrow will be completely comforted. No more pain because human suffering will be cured. No more thirst because God will quench and satisfy all desires. No more wickedness because all evil will be again eradicated. No night because the glory of God will shine as an eternal light. No closed gates because God will always be open. No more curse, because God's blood has forever lifted the curse. This is because Jesus is making all things brand new. Greg Laurie, in commenting on this, put it in terms that you and I could understand. Let me read from his sermon. When Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new, yes, a new world is coming, and it is out with a new and uh, with a brand new and eternal perspective. There will be no more terminal diseases, no more hospitals, no more wheelchairs or funerals, no more suffering, no more separation, no more accidents, no more courts, no more prisons, no more lawyers. I don't know why he put that in there. No more divorces, no more breakdowns or breakups. God is going to make everything new. No more heart attacks, no more strokes, no more Alzheimer's. No more cancer, no more famines, no more disasters, and no more COVID-19. I added that last one. Now let us, be on, let us be clear here for a moment. When Jesus says he's going to make all things new, it's not like our advertising community today. Where a company at some point in time gets the brilliant idea to change something that's already extremely successful. And then they label this change new and improved. And the only ones who believe that are them. I'm surprised to find that in 2021, two of the worst new and improved products, number two came in with the 1957 Ford Edsel. Wow, it was like, I, I didn't live then either, okay? But I just remember that this was not a good thing. And of course, I personally have still been psychologically damaged by this new Coca-Cola that they released, which is still number one. But that's not what God is doing. 
He's not making a new and improved. He's making something brand new. He's making something that we have not experienced in subjection to our personal experience here on this earth as we have all been subjected to sin and to death. Those things will not occupy the place in which we inhabit. And this is the way John decided to describe it. He decided to describe it in a way that we could best relate to by letting us know what will not be there anymore. And again, this encouraged Christian after Christian after Christian, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, and can still encourage us today but as i said at the very beginning this was something that started on that day that we celebrate today the resurrection of jesus christ it all began because he took that step out of the tomb two thousand years ago and the ushering in of this utopia that god is going to provide this new heaven and new earth led peter in the book of acts to begin to invite people to experience this renewal and he used the word restoration in acts chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 the invitation is given for people to begin to experience what god is eventually going to accomplish he said therefore repent And be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And that word blotted out means remember no more, wash clean. As the Old Testament writers wrote, they said, though our sins were as scarlet, now through Christ we can be as white as snow. So that a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In the new birth that a Christian experiences, it is a relief. I can tell you firsthand, I remember at 16 years old, after receiving Jesus Christ, it was like someone took a weight off my shoulders that I didn't even realize that I was carrying. It was so heavy. And it was so uh, difficult, day in and day out. But when I came to Christ and He lifted those burdens from me, the guilt, the shame, the, uh, the, uh, the, the condemnation that I was personally experiencing... And not only did He do that, but He began to change my nature. He began to renew me from the inside out just as He promised He would. And the anger that I felt growing up the years that I did in the home that I did began to dissipate. And in their place, I was given a joy like I've never known before that I still have 30-some years later. But when Peter talks about the presence of the Lord, he's also referring here to the physical presence of the Lord, knowing that this is going to happen at His second coming, and that He may send Jesus, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times, notice this word, of restoration of all things which God spoke about by the mouth of His holy prophets since the world began. After the fall, this promise was put into place, that he was going to make all things brand new. And it has been the hope of each and individual who has followed God as they walk through the trials and the troubles of this life. That word restoration is a unique word. 
It isn't simply like watching one of those shows that I personally love to watch where they restore old cars back to vintage, uh, classic condition. It's incredible what some of these people are capable of doing. You know, they, they see this thing that, you know, they find in a farmyard that is completely rusted out and the trees are growing through it and, you know, and it's just like, oh, that thing is a goner, you know. But no, they come along and they restore it from the ground up. That's our idea of restoration. You know, they're kind of like those people that can look out into the backyard as they're drinking their morning coffee, see a tree that they want to take down and say, you know what, that tree would make a good cabinet. And then they go out after breakfast, they cut the tree down, and the next thing you know, two days later, they have this beautiful cabinet within their living room. You know, those people are awesome who can do that. I just see a tree. And, you know, if I was younger, maybe I would attempt to climb it. But now I'm worried if it's covered by my health insurance to do so. But this is what God was inviting us to begin to experience in a new relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And that relationship can begin today. I believe it was this knowledge that Paul used to write the next verse. Knowing that we are being renewed day by day. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he wrote this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Same idea. See, unlike the person restoring the car, they are working with the elements that are already there. But when Jesus Christ saves us, comes into our heart, and begins to restore and reconcile us back to God the Father, He changes us from the inside out. It's a brand new you. And that new you is growing back into the image that Jesus originally designed for you, the perfection that Adam had in the garden before the fall. Now, please, let me make it clear. That's not a perfection that we'll ever attain to here on this earth. Even though you'd like to believe you've arrived in that position of perfection, let me burst your bubble by saying you're not even close. This is something that's going to happen when we are in the presence of God. That when we are in heaven with the Lord, we'll be perfect. Because that's the work that Christ started in our life. That's why we like to say we're all works in progress here, right? That's why we should give each other a lot of grace, a lot of love, a lot of leeway, a lot of forgiveness when we hurt or wrong someone. Because we are all works in progress. But notice that here again we have to be attentive to that word have passed away. Not are passing away, but have passed away. Past tense meaning it's already over and done. You are someone new in Jesus Christ. And the only time that old comes back is when you invite it to. When you allow it. But we can walk in the newness of life. And because of that hope of walking in the newness of life, Paul further went on to write in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outly man is perishing, yet in the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, obviously, even when we become Christians, we still unfortunately age, right? 
I like to say it this way, it's not the years, it's the mileage on me personally. That being said, though I may be dying physically, the work that God is doing in me is renewing me day by day to allow me to live for eternity with Him. And this way, when I suffer the difficulties of old, getting up in older age, or when I experience disease, or when I experience suffering in this world, I can be encouraged knowing that this is all part of the process bringing the new out from the old. And that one day I have the promise of being with Him in this new heaven and new earth where none of the effects of sin, death, sorrow, and so forth will be experienced. Many would like to do life over again. In fact, there was recently a poll written about people who had the opportunity to find a lamp with a genie in it. What would be one of the three wishes that you would ask for? Now, I'm hoping that it's a hypothetical question and they haven't really found a lamp with a genie in it, but who knows. That being said, it's interesting how many people said that one of their wishes would be that they could start life over again. Now, I wonder if they would qualify that question, if, they, if that question would be qualified by, if I could start life over again knowing what I know now back then. How many of us would agree with that? Boy, I sure wish that I could start life over knowing what I know now and get a second swing at life. Well, whatever wisdom we gain from this world is still inferior to the wisdom in which God gives us in every way, shape, and form. So God not only gives us a new life, but He gives us new wisdom to apply to the new life that we have, allowing us truly, therefore, to start life all over again, learning from our mistakes of history, but applying to our life the wisdom that God gives us through His Word. To see the world as He sees the world. To understand the world as He understands the world. To allow His heart to shape our heart in accordance with His. That's what Christianity is all about. It's a new start to life in and through Jesus Christ. Because like me, you may have made decisions in your life that you now regret. And you say to yourself, I wish I never did that. Oh, how foolish I was. Or have you finally come to that point in your life where you realize that if you just would have taken the advice of your parents, you would have been a lot better off in the long run? I've missed many opportunities over the course of my life. I certainly have. I remember being a young man working in the business world. And one of the gentlemen that I worked with, an older gentleman, he kind of took me under his wing. He was a wonderful guy. Everybody else hated him, but I loved him. And he took me under his wing. And he, one morning when I came into work, I sat down at my desk and he peeked her up from his cubicle and he said, hey, get over here. And that was affectionate. So I came over and he goes, listen, with all the money you're making, kid, you better do something with it. You better invest it and make more money just allowing your money to grow with the investment. I said, oh, okay, you're going to try to sell me a bridge in the middle of the desert or something like that. He says, I got a tip, kid. I got a tip. Oh, okay, you got a tip. That should be interesting. I mean, this is the same guy who cut out coupons to go to Denny's, okay? You got a tip. He says, there's this new store coming to Chicago. I think it's going to be pretty popular when it does. 
I said, oh yeah? What's the name of it? Now we had Venture and Kmart and we had all these other stores. He goes, it's called Walmart. If you get in now, kid, you can retire by the time you're 30. And I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Because Kmart, you know, Kmart's never going to go out of business. That's ridiculous, you know. And Venture and so forth. I have no idea where I would be today if I would have listened to that advice. It's one of those things that I'll just chalk up in the category of, I missed it by that much. And I did what every kid my age did. I bought a Trans Am instead, you know. It's just like, because of course that was, a, that was a good purchase. It lasted a whole five years, you know. Uh, we all missed opportunities. We've all made bad decisions. That's why God does not allow us to enter into this new life alone or apart from the wisdom that we need to live this life abundantly. And when I say that, I'm not saying we're going to be exempt from heartache and grief, difficulties, diseases, and so forth. But we are sure going to have a foundation to stand on like never before and wisdom that we can draw from throughout the course of our life. If we go back to the book of Revelation, let me conclude by saying this. In verse 6, one verse after verse 5, that's the way that works. He said to me, that is God said to John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. We all ask the question, will our world ever go back to normal? Now, that's a subjective term. We all can assign different meaning to what our understanding of normal is. Personally, I don't want to go back to normal. I want to go to something much better. And the new heaven and new earth is going to be much, much better. And notice what Jesus says here in this verse it is done, it's finished, it's guaranteed. You can take it to the bank. Peter wrote in his last letter before going to his death, he said this, in the face of his executioners, knowing that his life here on this earth was coming to an end, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter writes, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we look forward to. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees all of this for us. That on the third day, death could not hold Him. Sin could not bind Him because He was sinless. And death could not hold Him because He Himself was God. And he invites each and every one of us to come to him this morning. I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know if you believe in God or not. I don't know if you believe that he exists or it's just a fantasy that people are using as a crutch in their life. I don't know if you have written these things off so you personally didn't have to wrestle with them in your mind. But please know this, just because we don't believe something doesn't make something untrue. I believe that God has given us all the evidence to know, to, that we need to know that He exists. 
And on the third day, today, in 2021, with all that has gone on, all that we've experienced over this last year, we see that the world does not have the answers that we are looking for. They are trying, but they are going about it in a contrary manner in which God would prescribe. We need to come back to Him. We need to allow Him to heal our land, beginning with the healing of our lives. I don't care what you've ever done as an individual. You can come to Jesus Christ today. I don't care what sin you think is so great or so awful that Jesus Christ can't forgive it. Let me just say this to you. The only sin that Jesus Christ cannot forgive is your rejection of Him as your Savior. That's the only one. If you will embrace Him today, you too can be a new creation in Christ. If you will place your faith and trust in Him, then your new life can begin today and you have the future guarantee of a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more injustice, no more of the sins and the effects of the sins that have been placed upon this world. God has brought you here today. This is your appointment with Him. Maybe someone dragged you here because they promised they would feed you afterwards. But I will tell you, tell them right up front that you're not going someplace, that you have to carry your own tray, okay? Set the bar higher. But you are here today to hear this message. Number one, God loves you more than you can comprehend and demonstrated that love through the giving of His only begotten Son on your behalf. And as John wrote so beautifully, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and he whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. A new life in Jesus Christ is a prayer away. It's free to all who ask. Now it will cost you your rest of your life. But you will know peace like you've never known before in Him. You will have a joy that will carry you through the trials, difficulties, and troubles of this world. You'll never feel alone again, even though physical, uh, a physical person is not around you. God filling your heart always, always allows for the void of loneliness to be fulfilled. And ultimately, your sins will be washed away. The guilt, the condemnation, the worry that those sins have created in your life, the bondages that they have brought with it, you will be released from in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest, it may not happen overnight, but the process will begin. And you too, like me, when I was 16 years old is when I came to Jesus Christ. And when I look back now, I cannot believe what God did in the life of that 16-year-old kid. Now trust me, I still have a long way to go, just ask my wife. But the work has already started. The effectiveness of the gospel has already taken place in, the, in my hearts, and it can in yours today also. God is offering it to you freely. He's brought you here for this purpose, this moment, right now. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come before you today on this beautiful Easter Sunday. Father, you know each and every person here. Father, you know where their heart is. You know if they believe in you or not. You know if they have eternal life or not, Lord.
But today is your invitation to them. You are offering your hand to them and say, come to me. Believe on me. Believe that on the cross I paid for the, the penalty of your sin, which is death. And in the resurrection I showed that I have, can provide you new life in me. Just believe. Just believe. Repent of your sin and believe. Turn from them. Leave them behind in the old life and allow the new life to take hold of you today. The offer is yours. You can simply just cry out to God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. And I receive and believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. That's simple. Maybe you're here today and you walked away from God. Maybe you've been raised as a Christian in a, home, a Christian home and you've walked away from God. The story of the prodigal son always comforts my heart to know that dad is always watching and waiting for us to come home. And even before we enter into the house once again, the father runs to us and embraces us and once again robes us with the robe and places the ring on our finger and the, feet, the uh, sandals on our feet and brings us back into the family. The door is always open, God, for all who have maybe wandered away. But I pray that they will take it, Lord. I pray that they will come back to you. Because as Peter says, only you, Lord, have the words of eternal life. This world may appear to offer quite a bit, but whatever technological advances we make or medical leap forwards we take, still all of us are going to wrestle with death at one time. And it's at that moment that we need to know that we are secure in you. But James also tells us tomorrow's promise to no one. So today is the day of salvation. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit is working in the hearts of the people here today and that you're drawing them on to Jesus because the tomb is empty, he is risen, and he is alive forevermore. And they all said, Amen.